Hey guys, it's your host Sam Thornton. Before this episode begins, I wanted to promote the DL Sports Instagram page. The page has a wide variety of sports content with graphics, reels, highlights, and more. So before this episode begins, what I want you guys to do is go ahead, pull out your phone, and follow the Instagram page at DLSportsCom. That's at DLSportsCom. Thanks guys, and enjoy the show. On today's episode of On the DL Podcast, I have a lot of content to cover for you guys. First, the NFL is starting to heat up as we head into week eight already. The season is flying by almost halfway through the year. There are some questions that need to be answered. Should Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady be hitting the panic button? How about the Cincinnati Bengals? Are they back to being the Super Bowl team that we saw last year? And the Seattle Seahawks are first in the NFC West. Who saw that coming? Who's going to end up winning that division? I also have some Hurricanes hockey to chop up through their first six games of the year. And finally, to finish the show, we have an interview with Duke basketball reporter Stephen Wiseman. As always, we have a lot to cover, so let's not waste any time and jump right into this episode. Welcome to episode number 16 of On The Deal Podcast. Let's begin with a legitimate question. Could both Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers potentially miss the postseason? It seems impossible considering these two Hall of Fame quarterbacks were dueling for a spot in the 2021 Super Bowl in the NFC Championship game just a couple years ago. Remember that game where Matt LaFleur dropped the ball and decided to kick a field goal with a minute left in the game for Green Bay? Yeah, that's the game I'm talking about. Seems like it was only yesterday, and it was only last year that Aaron Rodgers won his second consecutive back-to-back MVP award. So what's going wrong for these two teams, and which team should be more worried about their playoff hopes? Let's start with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bucs should be far more worried about the spot they're in compared to the Green Bay Packers. They just got manhandled by one of the worst teams in the league, and I'm talking about my very own Carolina Panthers. And this was the last thing I saw coming from the weekend. From the whole weekend of football, sports, the whole slate of games this weekend. The spread was set at plus 13 for the Carolina Panthers, minus 13 for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. After that drop pass from Mike Evans in the first quarter from Brady, the game was over. They never recovered. And Evans even admitted post-game that he couldn't unsee that drop pass the rest of the contest. The Bucs are sitting at 3-4 and in the NFC South Division. That does not have one team over 500. The Bucks are in first place at 3-4. and four. The Carolina Panthers are a game and a half back from first place halfway through the season. That is a crazy stat, crazy thing to think about. This is by far the worst division in football. There's a reason for their struggles, and it's not just one factor. Let's address the biggest issue first. And it's probably an issue that a lot of people are not giving enough attention to. The Buccaneers are missing Bruce Arians more than they think they are. Let's remember that Bruce Arians, he was the reason Brady went to Tampa Bay in the first place. I know there were rumors going around last year that they weren't on the same page, that Brady wanted Arians to move upstairs. There was disputes on how the offense was being run. I actually know a source that knows Brady personally. Has written multiple books about him, one including... Their season in Tampa Bay together in which they won the Super Bowl and none of that is true. 
None of those rumors are true. That connection between a head coach and a quarterback is essential. And Todd Bowles, the man in charge of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now, defensive-minded guy. And it's ironic because their defense looks terrible as well, even though they have studs all over their roster. But hear me out. The Buccaneers were the second-best scoring offense in the NFL last season. This year, they sit at 21st. Yes, there have been some players banged up in the receiving core, including Godwin and Evans earlier in the year. Godwin, I think, is still out. or He might be back, but he's still... He's, he's been dealing with a hamstring injury week in and week out. Does not look 100%. But Evans needs to be that guy again. He's been the number one red zone target in the NFL over the last couple years. Most of all, though, production-wise, it's got to fall on Tom Brady. We have to hold him accountable. He can put on the facade all he wants, but the off-field drama is piling up and weighing him down. It's weighing him down so much that he's trying too hard. He's screaming at his own line, throwing tablets on the sideline. Not a good look. He's playing worse than he did in his final year as a Patriot. His pride is getting in the way. He's 45 years old, playing professional football. Lots of new changes to the Tampa Bay team. A dismantled O-line. Key receivers are inconsistent. New head coach. Let's go back to the O-line real quickly. They have one of the worst offensive lines in the game of football right now. One of the worst. I'm coming out with an article later today talking about this exact issue. Go check it out on dlsportsmedia.com. I'm going to go into the key factors of that offensive line. A lot of those guys rank last in the NFL or next to last. It's awful. Not performing well by any means. This is not the same team that won the Super Bowl. Absolutely not. With Brian Jensen out, that was the beginning of everything. That was a horrible Lost for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in training camp. Might have even been in the preseason game. Significant knee injury. I've heard reports that he could be back as soon as November. I don't know about that. We'll see. At some point, you need to start utilizing the run game, which has been non-existent pretty much all year long. The Buccaneers throw the ball 66% of the time on offense, which is the second highest clip in the NFL. And what are you doing when you don't have any consistency there? Those are the questions that need to be answered. You have no consistency on the receiving core. Not one guy wants to step up. You have a workhorse in Leonard Fournette who is ready to be unleashed. Only one touchdown this year. One. Through seven games, Leonard Fournette has one touchdown. They threw the ball 77% of the time against Carolina on Sunday during that 21-3 loss. The Panthers are a team who ranks near dead last and run defense this season. That has been their biggest weakness. I'm not sure if they were just trying to make Brady happy, or if they were trying to get the receivers going because they knew they had an easy game, or if they were completely misreading the play calls each week, or if they were completely mishandling the way they were operating their, their, their film sessions throughout the week. But they have to fix it soon. You have to fix it soon or else you're not going to make the playoffs. They've dropped four of their last five. Everybody is starting to believe that this will be Brady's final season, even though he keeps saying, retirement's not in my future. Retirement's not in my future. Remember when he retired? That was a weird time in football. And I think that his choice is still having an impact on his production for the Bucks. You have to be all in or all out when it comes to something like that. In Brady's last three contests, he's completed 64% of his passes under six yards per attempt, 5.98. 
This is the first time since 2019 that he's had three straight games that averaged a completion rate lower than 65% with under six yards per attempt. His arm strength isn't where it needs to be. Wasn't even where it was two years ago. And he's so competitive, as we know. So he's going to beat himself up over it, even though he's 45 years old. At some point, the train has to end. Unless the Bucks find their identity on the offensive side of the ball, I think they really can step it up on defense. But unless that core is not together on offense, especially the O-line, that's the weakest link, I don't see them making the playoffs, and I truly mean that. Now, Aaron Rodgers. You've led your team to a 3-4 and four record to begin the season, just like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And who else but the Buffalo Bills is up next on the schedule. Green Bay has never beaten Buffalo in Buffalo before. Let me say that again. Green Bay has never beaten Buffalo on the road. I still can't believe that both Rodgers and Brady are 3-4. and four, And both teams are at their low points at the same time. After losing to the Panthers and the Commanders. And this is going to be a huge test for the Packers. Obviously going up against probably the best team in the NFL. The Packers blew an 11-point lead on Sunday against Washington and have gone 1-3 in, in their last four during their quote-unquote soft schedule with tough tests awaiting them. The Packers have some similar issues. O-line has been reconfigured, so the passes haven't been long. A lot of them have been condensed to around 5-10 to 10 yards at a time. The run game hasn't been utilized as much as it should be with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in the backfield. A lot of them have been going out wide and catching balls. They only carried the ball 12 times on Sunday despite Rodgers telling Matt LaFleur that they needed to based on the two-shell coverage he was noticing throughout the game. However, and this is a big however, we know the Packers' receiving core is new. There's rookies. You have Romeo Daubs, Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins has been installed. You also have Alan Lazard, who's the veteran there, the only guy that Rodgers can really rely on based on experience there. By week seven, you shouldn't have any trouble with drop passes. And if the core was deeper, you take something out of the game and place someone in because you can't do that with the lack of depth they have there. Someone has to step up. Alan Lazard, I'm looking at you. You're the guy who Aaron knows the best. You have to be the guy. You have to step up. You have to be more consistent. You have the best connection with them. And I've heard that even the rookie Romeo Dobbs is starting to take over. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm getting sick and tired of it because the lack of receivers in Green Bay throughout his entire career, the way they haven't drafted receivers for him, it's ridiculous. No wonder he was always throwing the ball to Devontae Adams, and you could see why he threw the ball to him about 80% of the time last year and the years before that. The offense on Sunday, get ready for this, 0-7 on third and fourth downs. And it doesn't matter who you're playing. You're not going to win games in the NFL if you can't convert on third and fourth downs. To find your identity as a team, you have to be consistent. That goes for the Bucks and the Packers. The Packers, especially on defense, are very inconsistent and have been known to be pretty dominant in that area throughout the past seasons. Although a tough stretch awaits Green Bay, I do feel better personally about their chances to make the playoffs for a few reasons. Right now, I trust Aaron Rodgers more than Tom Brady. He's contained. He's calm. Clearly isn't happy with the way things are going. But you can see that off the field, he's very fluid, very clear-minded, positive attitude. Brady is fighting demons. And it's evident the way he's playing. It's evident the way he's speaking to the press. It's evident the way he's speaking to his teammates. 
I trust Rodgers to figure it out over Brady at this moment. Just on a mentality standpoint, and people really underestimate how important your mental needs to be throughout a season, throughout life. When you're stressed out, when things aren't going well, you have to be mentally clear, and I don't think he is. The Packers' defense is also playing much better than the Buccaneers. Even though they've had drives where they look like a bottom-five defense, they come back the next drive, step onto the field, and wreak havoc on the opposing offense. So you know where the potential is for them. And I haven't seen that with Tampa Bay this season. We know what they've done in the years past, but this season I have not seen it from them. I've seen no effort. Finally, I know this sounds kind of crazy, but I actually like the Packers receiving core more than the Bucks receiving core. Godwin hasn't been healthy. Evans hasn't been the player we've used to been watching. They don't have a solidified tight end, and it looks like they won't be turning towards Fournette anytime soon unless they make a change. With the Packers, you've seen Romeo Dalbs. You've seen his upside, especially in training camp. I've heard great things from him. You've relied on Watkins late in the game. Robert Tunyon is a veteran tight end. Alan Lazard, as we just talked about. And the running game in Green Bay is miles ahead with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, who can move into the slot if they need to like they've done a lot this year. Next five games for the Packers. At Bills. At Lions. Home against the Cowboys. Home against the Titans. And then at Eagles. Maybe a blessing in disguise schedule here. They can prove people wrong mentally, go out and play, have that why not mentality. Who knows? Maybe this will be a great stretch of games for them to prove themselves. Maybe not come out tight and, you know, hitting the panic button, freaking out. You know, we have to win these games. Just come out and say, hey, we could do this. We could beat these teams. We've seen it in the past with Aaron Rodgers. I believe it. Next five for Tampa Bay. Home against the Ravens, that's Thursday night football. Home against Rams. Home against Seahawks. Then they travel to the Browns. And then they finish with home against the Saints. Four home games here. Four of five. If they lose three of these games with four home games in hand during this stretch, the season's over. Much more pressure on them in this slate compared to Green Bay. And it's weird, I know. It's like a reverse psychology thing. This is a much easier stretch, much easier. You're at home, you need the momentum, but that's exactly my point. If they don't get these games, they see these next five games, if they don't get this stretch under under control, if they don't build momentum, they're going to be even more stressed out. So that's why I just am leaning towards the Packers right now. Next up, are the Cincinnati Bengals back? It sure looks like it. And it's a scary sight for AFC teams to start noticing. I don't think it's an overreaction to say that the defending AFC champions could absolutely win this conference again. They sit at 4-3, and three, winning four of their last five games, destroyed the Falcons this weekend. It was a blowout in the first quarter. It starts and ends with that Bengals offense. A lot of the reason why they won that game on Sunday was because of Joe Burrow and company. We know what that defense can do in second half against teams. They can really build momentum, lock down opponents, but they are not anything without the offense carrying momentum led by who else but the man himself, Joe Burrow. And I hate that he went to LSU because I really like Joe Burrow. But Burrow on the day, 
34 for 42, 481 yards. Jamar Chase had his second consecutive game over 100 yards. Another LSU guy who I wish didn't go to LSU because he's so fun to watch. These two are incredible together. He had two touchdowns on the day. I mean, when this offense is on their game, they are one of the best offenses in the NFL and could even make the argument they are the best offense in the NFL when they are firing on all cylinders. They're making their plays. They can keep up with Kansas City and Buffalo, which is scary to think about. If they couldn't, they wouldn't have beaten Kansas City last year in the AFC Championship game. They trailed Kansas City by what? 21 in that game last year in the playoffs? And I think that was in the first half. Came storming back with the offense. One of the best receiving cores in the game. Talk about Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Boyd. Then you have Mixon, a solid O-line involved. The O-line has been the biggest area of concern. Burrow did take, I think, three sacks on Sunday, which when you're thinking about the defensive line of the Buffalo Bills, that's not a matchup you want to see if you're Joe Burrow. Von Miller was on him last year throughout the Super Bowl all over that offensive line of the Bengals, and you best bet he's going to be coming from the playoffs with other guys as well. But who knows? Maybe they'll figure it out. After all, he got sacked a lot in the Super Bowl, and they were a play away from winning it all, so anything's possible. People need to remember this. Joe Burrow had appendix surgery this summer, missed the entire preseason. So is this really surprising that the offense is just now starting to connect on all cylinders? The media was all over him, especially after the Cowboys' loss. People thought that the Super Bowl slump was lingering for Cincinnati. Not so fast. The kid from Ohio, he's got that moxie in him. And I think many people and the Bengals fans knew he wasn't just going to fall back like that. The two issues that need to improve, though. The first I already talked about, it's the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line. That's how Burrow eventually got injured his rookie year towards ACL. His rookie season was sacked more than anybody else. And yes, this is still an issue, but it's improved some. The other problem is the secondary of the Bengals. Eli Apple comes to mind. He's someone that is very vulnerable back there. You saw how many times he was attacked last season in the playoffs in every single game. If he wasn't burned, he was getting a penalty called on him. That's why I keep pointing back to the Bills, and that's the worst matchup for the Cincinnati Bengals. You think about Matt Milano, Von Miller, Phillips, all coming for Burrow, shutting that run game down, shutting him down. They have a great secondary as well that's been banged up, but... In terms of their receivers, on the other side of the ball, you have Stephon Diggs, Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie. That's just as formidable as the Bengals' receiving core. And they match up best against them over Kansas City. Kansas City doesn't have a Stephon Diggs who could burn you badly. Juju Smith-Schuster has been great for them this season. He's been on a heater lately. Travis Kelsey, we know what he can do in the slot. But they don't have that one guy who can really change the game, flip the switch, besides their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, of course. But back to the topic. The Bengals look great, and they could be back to the Super Bowl in due time. They're starting to heat up. They're getting there. I really believe in the Bengals this year. Do not count them out. Look what we have here. The Seattle Seahawks sit in first place in the NFC West division with a 4-3 record. We should have known better the way this division turns out year in and year out, but I don't think anybody saw this coming. I think I had the Seahawks winning maybe four games the entire year. I think one of the podcasts I recorded 
at the beginning of the NFL season, I said they were going to go like maybe three and 14. So props to them. Shout out to them for proving me wrong this early in the season. So how did they get to this point? Well, to be quite bored with you, Geno Smith is balling out. Yes, Geno Smith, West Virginia, Geno Smith. Look at his stats this season. Seventh in total yards, just outside the top 10 in touchdowns with 11. And he's only thrown three interceptions. Top five in QBR. This guy is having the year of his life, and it's awesome to watch after everything he's been through. And I love how he's backed up his talk after the first win against Denver. The Seahawks also drafted so many studs. Kenneth Walker is an absolute machine. If you watch the game against the Chargers this weekend, you just have to be so excited to watch this guy because you know he's about to be a superstar in the NFL. He had two touchdowns against the Chargers on Sunday, hit the fastest top speed of the year on a 70-yard touchdown run to the end zone. I think he hit a top speed of 22 miles an hour. That was like a sneaky fat. That was like a sneaky 22 miles an hour too. You weren't like, oh, that that's a crazy speed he has right there. Honestly. I knew he would be a great pickup, but I did not think he was going to contribute the way he is right now, this quickly. Shout out to Pete Carroll for taking command of this bus, and to those who are calling the NFC West a terrible division right now, like I saw so many people on Twitter saying, what a weak division this is, having the Seahawks in first place. Stop being a hater. Open your eyes. This division had three playoff teams last year, and the way the NFC looks right now it could still happen. So what about the other teams in the NFC West? Well, let's start with the San Francisco 49ers, who just added superstar Christian McCaffrey from the Carolina Panthers. Yes, another domino has fallen in Carolina, but they got the W over Tampa Bay, so it's a slow winning process. I still have faith. The 49ers played McCaffrey on Sunday against the Chiefs, but they got overpowered by Kansas City. The thing that scares me about the 49ers is that they have so much talent. I mean, they have one of the best rosters in the entire NFL. They do. That's not up for debate. And that talent, last year when they started to heat up at the end of last season, and everybody started to whisper to each other, hey, don't look now. But the 49ers, they got something going there. They're my dark horse this year. And they almost made it to the Super Bowl. They've dropped their last two games, but I'm going to buy stock in them. I don't care if they have a losing record right now. They're 3-4 at four currently with that coaching staff. But they're going to figure it out. They face the Rams this weekend, which will be a great divisional matchup to see. Rematch of the NFC Championship game from last year. Get to see where these two teams stand. This could be a very pivotal game for both these teams. And let's talk about the defending champs, why don't we? Um, I'm not going to harp on them too much. But I will say that they miss Odell Beckham Jr. And they need him on their team. I mean, there's a lot of teams that need him. And the rumor he's telling is that he wanted to be with the Rams in Los Angeles, but they didn't give him the money he wanted. Now, we don't know what that number was, but you know, they kind of want to reassess that. And that means a lot coming from me because I was very skeptical of OBJ last year. I'm man enough to admit it that I didn't believe in him. But wow, did he prove me wrong in the Super Bowl and throughout the entire postseason for the Rams. They need to figure things out with their run game. Henderson is okay, but he's not going to be the long-term answer to a playoff run. And we know Sean McVay loves to go out and get guys on the trade market, with Cam Akers now 
on the trading block. So he could be an asset you can use in a package deal. The O-line's been a little bit better. We know they had some shifts there. Stafford was a little bit better last game. But, you know, I think things will turn out better than we've seen from them so far. After all, they're the defending champs. They have to figure it out at some point. And it's just been so interesting to see the three NFC powerhouses in the Rams, Bucks, and Packers from last year, who we thought were going to be formidable again this year, all take a step back with older quarterbacks at that slot. Just very weird to think about. Of course, we can't leave out the Arizona Cardinals. Honestly, I don't know what to make of this team. They can't win at home. I know they just beat New Orleans on Thursday Night Football last week to snap that eight-game losing streak at home, but that's a trend that can't be trusted. I think the Cardinals are one of the most inconsistent teams in the entire NFL. You never know what you're going to get out of them. As history tells it, they start hot and then they fall off. They haven't started hot this season. I think a lot of that has to do with the absence of DeAndre Hopkins. We saw that connection between Hopkins and Murray last year at the beginning of the season when they won their first six or seven games. The regression of James Conner has something to do with it. Maybe the most important factor is defenses learning how to contain quarterback Kyler Murray. He has not been the player we've seen in the past. And I don't think it has anything to do with the size because he's proved us wrong throughout his entire career about his size. The defenses know his tendencies. They understand how to evaluate the schemes he and the Cardinals offense like to run. I think Cliff Kingsbury is starting to figure that out too. And it's beginning to weigh on the Cardinals. Right now, I think they're weakest of the four teams in that division, but they're still going to compete every single week. No doubt about that. If I had to predict my final NFC West standings by the end of the season, I would go 49ers, Rams, Seahawks, and Cardinals. I think even the Cardinals are going to get seven or more wins this year. The 49ers will have 10. I'm manifesting a big second half from them. I'm going to go with nine wins from the Rams, eight from the Seahawks, maybe even nine, and then Cardinals will get seven or eight. All those teams are going to compete. They're going to beat each other up. One is not just going to fall victim to the bottom feeder. Before we get into our interview with Steven Wiseman, I want to quickly analyze what I've seen so far from the Carolina Hurricanes through their first six contests of the season. Canes are sitting at 4-1-1 one one on the year, most recently defeating the Vancouver Canucks a couple of nights ago in Rogers Center, score of 3-2. And the boys are looking solid. And a lot of that has to do with the production of two guys that I harped on before the season began, and Andrei Svechnikov and Martin Natchez. These guys had to be the X-factors of this Hurricanes team, and honestly, the entire second line needed to step up with the addition of Yosperi Kokaniemi in that conversation. Svech and Natchez are both leading the team in points. Natchez with eight points, Svech with nine through six games, and that's exactly what you want to see. This could be the year that Svech finally maximizes his potential, which is needed for a deep run in the playoffs. And let's not forget the man himself, Sebastian Ajo, who also is sharing the lead in points. I neglected to mention his name in there, but wow, this guy is world-class. Ajo is good at Ajo. His hockey IQ is like anyone I can remember in watching in a long time. Players hate to play against him, and you can see that with frustration on the ice because he's such a pest. He's such a pest on the forecheck, so skilled in, with the puck, crafty in his decision-making, I don't think anybody had a doubt about the production he was going to give this team. He's always so consistent every single night. I don't think I've ever, maybe a couple times, 
in the Rangers series last year, I was like, hey, he's not having he's not having a good game. And I think one of those instances was because he got hit really hard early in the game. I think it was a Jacob Truba hit. But he can just give you consistent play night in and night out. He rarely has an off night. Very rarely. Jordan Stahl even said in the post-game interview a couple nights ago after the Canucks win that Ajo is his favorite player to watch right now with such a bright smile on his face while talking about him. And that means the world coming from a veteran player who's won a Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2009, teammates with Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Latang, Chris Kunitz. That's world-class company that Ajo is being associated with. He's played with all of those Hall of Famers, and Ajo is his favorite player. That speaks volumes. I wanted to address the comments I've been seeing in the Hurricanes' Twitter timeline regarding the power play. I have two words for everybody. Calm down. Yes, I'm very aware that the Hurricanes have struggled on the on the power play over the last couple years, and it was apparent in the playoffs. There's a new unit on the ice this year. There's no Tony D'Angelo at the QB slot for the first unit. Instead, you have Brent Burns. The talent on the ice is crazy when the Hurricanes are on the man advantage. And I can see why people are concerned because you have that many scoring threats on the ice at once. It should be a lot higher of a clip than it is right now. But everybody take a deep breath. We're six games through. Rod Brindamore and the boys are going to figure it out. There's such a dilemma with Hurricanes fans. And longtime fans can relate with me here. You have one crowd that's very happy to be here type energy. The team was awful for so long. No fans were in the seats. So now it's just a blessing to win games and have entertainment on your television. Then you have the crowd full of skepticism, questioning the dynamics of the team, like the power play. We don't know better than the coaching staff. Listen carefully. We need to have both of those crowds in our soul. As fans, yes, the power play needs a new look schematic-wise. We need some more movement below the goal line. We need to we need to open up seam passes to the wings. But never question, and I would never question the knowledge of the players or the staff operating that unit. They know what they're doing. D'Angelo was very good at moving laterally on the blue line. Burns is good at it, but not as shifty as D'Angelo was. That probably has a lot to do with his size. I have no doubt everything's going to be fine. And Svechnikov got one to go a couple of nights ago in Vancouver, so that cleared some weight off them. They turned a corner last year. They had the number one power play for a long time throughout the season. The same's going to happen again. We're six games through. Everybody have positive energy. All right, guys, we're about to head into our interview with Duke basketball reporter Stephen Wiseman. College hoops, it's almost here. I cannot wait. This was an awesome interview with Stephen discussing this season for Duke and the Blue Devils. So without further delay, here is Stephen Wiseman.
throughout the season. Appreciate your time. See how they do this year. Very good, Sam. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Steven Wiseman. That got me super pumped for this college basketball season. That concludes this episode of On the DL Podcast. Thanks again for everybody listening and supporting the podcast. Make sure to share this episode with your friends, with your family. Give it a follow. Give the Instagram page a follow. Check out articles on dlsportsmedia.com. And I will be back next week with a brand new episode.